Today on Ag News Daily. Our name says U.S. Farmers and Ranchers in Action because we believe that farmers fundamentally take action every day on their farm. And they are the ones who can go solve for the environment. And we are going to set the table and co-create the sustainable foods of the future and invite all these people in there talking about it to come to the table. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Delaney Howell joined by Tanner Winterhoff here again on another episode of the Ag News Daily Podcast. Tanner, it's a little slow in the news front today. Yeah, a little bit too. And I would say uh, we must be a little bit slow because what was that about the sixth time you had to say today on Ag News Daily? (laughs) We're still getting back into our mojo here after we've both been gone for so long. Uh, You know, the the banter is unique, but we should just have a fixed intro. So that way, uh, Cassidy just grabs today on Ag News Daily. That would make sense, wouldn't it? Keep our little jingle, get a, a nice little intro going, and we'd be good to go. That would make sense. Okay, Cassidy, as you're editing this, make note. <laughs> there you go, listeners. Work in progress. And I'll tell you what is not working is a lot of Americans. Jobless claims are near the highest levels in months as the recession fears continue to mount. So rising jobless claims are the proxy of layoffs, sign of the labor market might be facing some turbulence. Although the number is still low, historically considering Delaney, the last time that jobless claims were this high was November of last year. So not too long ago, but we have certainly seen worse times. The rising jobless claims could be a clue that the tight labor market may be slowing in response to the Federal Reserve aggressively jacking up those interest rates that we've talked about. Those driving up interest rates causes potential higher operating costs for businesses that are borrowing their money. That 75 basis point hike that we had just talked about uh, might be a hint at more hikes to come in the future. We've had those conversations, Delaney. I think our listeners are pretty much up on the topic of what the Federal Reserve is doing. But the little caveat in this article is the number of new applications for unemployment benefits dropped. So even though jobless claims are up, those filing for unemployment are dropping lower. So quite a mix bag there might dictate that people have been on unemployment for the length of time and maxed out their benefits. So quite interesting to see that news. Yeah, I was about to ask, what does that mean? But you're right. There is a, after a certain point, you get kicked off of that. But I think you can go back on if you, I don't know. I don't remember, understand how that system works exactly. Yeah, I don't have the, the best of understanding of that. And I wish I could find a headline that I saw first thing this morning. Uh, about the number of unretirements happening. Uh, the headline was pointing oh. towards even the high inflationary figures is still keeping unretirements low. So we're not getting people reentering the workforce after retirement, at least not yet, is what I had grabbed really quickly, but I don't have those details in front of me currently. Okay. Well, I've kind of got a couple of uh, pieces here of news that are somewhat related. And I know you had this story as well, Tanner, but yesterday late afternoon, we got some word on the railroad labor strike. Delays on U.S. railroads have been a growing problem, as we know, not just here in the U.S., but worldwide. But there is possible concern now that a labor stoppage may occur in mid-September in the height, of course, of harvest season, Tanner. This week, the White House appointed Presidential Emergency Board, or PEB, 
released recommendations as part of their efforts to help the ongoing collective bargaining process. And now both sides, railroad workers and the labor union, have 30 days to accept those recommendations. If the two parties don't agree, then rail workers are allowed to go on strike as of September 16th, with one caveat to that. Congress holds the power to intervene. Legally, Tanner workers can go on strike starting September 16th if they don't choose to adopt the recommendations provided by PEB, but Congress can intervene if workers decide to strike September 16th. I don't really understand what they would do to intervene, but it says they can intervene in the article that I was reading this morning. Yeah, my best understanding is that intervention can disallow the strike to happen in a mid of other concessions to where legislature could force those to continue working and at the same time force employers to meet certain standards. May not be an official agreement, but a temporary one to keep the strike from happening. It sounds like if that action is needed, it will be exercised at least from the officials in place. It said that the first report by PEB released was 124 pages, Hmm. and it suggested 24% raise for the workers. There's still a lot of unions that have not backed this presidential report. Talks that uh, 115,000 workers are still unaccounted for as far as opinions related to this report. But a 24% raise is, I think, what I need, Delaney. So uh, oh. I'll, I'll wait. I will wait for that. Well, a check will be in the mail someday, I'm sure. <laughs> in that same vein, I also wanted to make mention these two stories are kind of somewhat related because they're both dealing with the rail industry. But the Freight Rail Shipping Fair Market Act was introduced in the House last week, which includes several updates that would provide fairer treatment for agricultural shippers and would reauthorize the Surface Transportation Board to be the legal entity in charge of regulating freight rail. The U.S. Wheat Associates uh, shared in their wheat blog last week that this would ultimately help a lot of agricultural industries, but especially wheat given that it would provide authority back to the STP and put forward policies to benefit, of course, all producers, but especially U.S. wheat farmers. And they said it will really help to um, improve a couple of different things. Like I said, it reauthorizes the STB's authority. It also gives them clear direction to resolve common carrier obligation complaints And it creates financial incentives for both railroads and customers to move rail cars more efficiently, which I think is a key point there. I agree. Having that authority reappointed could be a key to getting things back to running smoothly. Other company that is looking for authority is Summit Summit Carbon Solutions. Delaney, you had reported on that earlier this week that they were going to be releasing the names of landowners that might be uh, forced using the eminent domain portion of the law to turn over rights or at least right away to the Summit Carbon Solutions for their liquid carbon pipeline in the state of Iowa. They plan to build about 680 miles within the state. State regulators are now saying that they are poised to hold a scheduling conference that will guide the rest of the permitting process for Summit Carbon Solutions. The Iowa Utility Board attorney said Tuesday during the board meeting that uh, the proposed order is forthcoming. 
and the meeting will allow the company, the affected landowners, and others to discuss deadlines. They will be able to provide testimony, interventions, and potential dates for those permit hearings coming down the road. So as since earlier this week, Summit has been releasing the list of landowners that have declined to grant easements for their project, whose land might be subject to eminent domain. As of Monday, the list included 11 counties so far, Cherokee, Chickasaw, Crawford, Fremont, Green, Hancock, Ida, Lynn, Plymouth, Pottawatomie, and Sioux in the state of Iowa. There are reported to be more to come. This was the initial pass. They have stated that just over 40% of the landowners have gave permission for the route of this pipeline, leaving a large majority to be on this list that might possibly be impacted by eminent domain. Again, just for a reminder for our listeners, this is carbon dioxide that will be captured and compressed into a liquid and then transported to North Dakota to be pumped deeply underground or sequestered as the terminology is being used. Well, Tanner, I don't have a very good segue away from that story, but I think kind of my final piece of news for today is a new piece of equipment that has hit the pipeline for producers. The new Brandt DXT series dual auger grain cart is posed to have faster unload speeds and large carrying capacities. Tanner, I saw this in Successful Farming reported this morning, and it's a pretty sweet looking piece of equipment. Yes, it is. And uh, I've got some back room information on that grain cart. We don't want to give out any free ads, but the cool thing about Brandt is for every one of their products, they put together a farmer development committee. And I got to serve on that to provide input as far as what features would be nice for a innovative grain cart. Obviously not seem like a lot of things you can do to make a grain cart different from others, but certainly a unique and fun process. So thanks to them for allowing me to participate. Also, they are a proud partner of the Farm for Profit podcast, where we've explored a lot of their products. So very good to see that they finally got that to market. It was a long time coming. Check it out. A lot of cool innovation that comes in that grain cart. Every week, Delaney, I hit ethanol production report on Thursdays. Ethanol output this last week dropped to the lowest level in the last three months. Inventories have increased, however, due to demand a little bit plunging. Production of the biofuel averaged 983,000 barrels a day in the week that ended August 12th. Again, that's down from just over a million barrels a day the week prior to that. Ethanol stockpiles rose to 23.46 million barrels in the seven days that ended August 12th. That's up from 23.256. So a big jump in inventory. That is the largest inventory level since July 15th. So I think we're getting signs that demand is slowing. Also, a little bit here as a piece of anecdotal news that I don't have a lot of sources behind except for it's been passed around through publications. Originally started with the Washington Post. They reported in their Road to War article that is focused on the war in Ukraine that U.S. intelligent officials might have known in October of 2021 that Russia was planning its invasion. They stated that American spies knew they had penetrated multiple points of Russian political leadership, spying apparatuses, the military, and other senior levels on the front lines to have this information. The analysis featured satellite imagery, communication interception, and human intelligence, that was presented to White House officials who reportedly 
dispatched the CIA to Moscow to confront Russians. They then believed that uh, they then briefed NATO allies in Germany and France, in which those allies stated the accusations were bogus, cited botched intelligence and America's failed Iraqi invasion two decades ago. However, they chose to make no movements, and we now know the rest is history, Delaney. So, like I said, it was originally from the Washington Post. It's been passed around. This is where I sourced it out of agweb.com. So quite interesting there if there was intelligence to begin with, knowing that this was possibly on the horizon. All right. Well, Tanner, I do not have any other news left for today. What about you? Well, that's why I squeezed the last two together. I felt <laughs> you were nearing the end of yours. So I think it's about time to jump into the markets. I agree. And today we finally have some green on the screen in corn and soybeans after yesterday's light trading action. We're seeing that again here in new crop corn. These unchanged on the day here at about noon as we're recording this. Trading right around 612. New crop soybeans up eight and a half cents at 1398. Wheat is continuing to slide lower here on Thursday as the September contract is down 28 and a half cents at 734. And in livestock today, a big slide down, especially in the lean hog markets. October lean hogs down four dollars today, right? Trading right around 94 bucks. October live cattle sliding 97 and a half cents lower at a buck 44 and September feeders trading right around a dollar 95 lower at 185.17 Tanner. There you go. That's a little bit of a different turn of events for the week. Now it's time to turn to a conversation that we had with the CEO of an organization that is bringing and uniting the farmer's voice. Let's jump into that. Well, hello, listeners. Tanner and I are excited to introduce you all to Aaron Fitzgerald, CEO of U.S. Farmers and Ranchers in Action. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Absolutely. So like we start all of our interviews, we just want to get a little bit of your background, how you got to this role, and what this role really means and what U.S. Farmers and Ranchers is doing. So, um, yeah, I, I did not grow up on a farm. I know that's one of the things that we always talk about in agriculture. I grew up on a, you know, people will say they grew up on a farm, but I, um, my background, I was, before I came to this role, was working for Dairy Management Inc. in the Innovation Center for about 12 years. And then prior to that, uh, arriving in the agriculture sector, I was in healthcare and finance. Um, and I was miserable. Uh, I wanted to do a pivot when, in my career change, um, and how I got to this organization uh, was really because we had led a lot of efforts in dairy to bring the whole dairy sector together uh, when the U.S. Farmers and Ranchers at the time Alliance Board was saying we wanted to do more to bring all of ag together um, and take, talk about sustainability and climate change. And I said it would be a great opportunity to serve farmers um, and build upon the pilot that we really did for dairy for the whole sector. That's great. So what is the main focus of the company that you now work for, U.S. Farmers and Ranchers in Action? So you're probably wondering about our name. For those I mentioned, U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance, it was originally created in 2010. uh, And it was a time where all the ad groups came together and said, 
you know, I just want my story told and I, I want to, I want people to understand what modern farming is. And we, uh, when I came on board, uh, we changed the name to U.S. Farmers and Ranchers in Action. And we became a actual nonprofit on behalf of farmers. And basically the, the concept was, yes, like we have a great story to tell. Um, but right now it's only farmers only. Uh, in this organization, we're kind of only talking to ourselves. And even though we're trying to put communication out there, why don't we invite and set the table uh, for the conversation by inviting the brands, the retailers, financial institutions into the conversation? So our name says U.S. Farmers and Ranchers in Action because we believe that farmers fundamentally take action every day on their farm. And they are the ones who can go solve for the environment. And we are going to set the table and co-create the sustainable foods of the future and invite all these people in there talking about it to come to the table. And so that's really the shift is that we are still farmer led, but we are working with all these amazing stakeholders and, and, and advocating for and developing those business models of the future for our farmers and ranchers. So, Aaron, I know you talked a lot about communication, and we've had some discussions lately with Ducks Unlimited and Certified Angus Beef talking about how they're making these big moves, and there's a big focus on making sure that consumers understand what's happening and get excited about it. So how are y'all taking the conversations you're having with farmers and ranchers and stakeholders and presenting that to consumers to get them excited about what's happening in agriculture? Yeah, so one of the things we do is we work with and through um, the brands. So the brands are often the love mark that talks to the consumer. They're the ones that get the questions first. And um, we make certain that the brands are really educated um, on some of the hot topics. Um, we make certain as well that we have the right science. So for, I'll give you an example. Um, did you know that carbon, our agriculture lands are currently sequestering a hundred times more carbon than submitted in the air. Mm-hmm. That's a great fact now, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to remember it at a, a church picnic or a cocktail party now. <laughs> uh, but it takes a lot uh, to get that fact. So we have a whole science council. It's really working to get those great environmental and sometimes complicated sustainability and science things to be easy for all of us to communicate and get on the same page. So looking at your website, it's always fun to do some homework before these conversations. And I just love the heading that says every farmer, every acre, every voice matters. So when you put the initial alliance together and put your vision forward, how was that received by those in agriculture? Was this a welcomed addition or do we really have to get our producers on board to unify their voice? Yeah, you know, I mean, this idea of every farmer, every acre is really symbolic that every farmer is very unique. And sustainability and climate change, every acre is very unique, even down to the sub-acre. And it's important that we celebrate that diversity in agriculture because often people have a idyllic view of what they think agriculture is. And so what we're trying to do is really celebrate all the uniqueness of agriculture and the hyper specificity that our farmers take on every acre that they're making actions for the outcomes of our community and the planet. So 
it's an invitation. Every farmer, every acre matters. And and you want to be a leader, come join us. So how, what are the actual actions you're taking? I see on your website, like Tanner mentioned, there's things under the tab that says our work. There's sustainability development goals. There's crop rotation, soil health, transformative investments. What are these, these projects and how are they being put into action? That's great. So the first is that we are the secretary for the decade of agriculture. And that is really about bringing um, farmers and brands and everyone in the value chain towards a shared and common vision for the future. I would really encourage everyone to take a look at that. It's wonderful. Over two years, um, those words were carefully crafted. And that doesn't sound like a lot of action, but it is in the in the sense that in 2019, you had the food uh, organization, the value chain, not necessarily always working with the farmers. So part of it is to make certain that we are all working and marching towards a shared uh, north direction. Um, so that's a key component of awareness, building, and culture change, I would say, and leadership. Well, I just have heard the terminology carbon and climate change, I think, multiple times in our short portion of this interview. And and I want to know why why is it important for farmers to have a voice or to have a seat at the table for those discussions? Why is it that we should work together and unify a voice when it comes to those topics? This is the question that I really want to make certain all farmers listening understand. 87% of consumers are looking for sustainability actions or looking for sustainability products. And during COVID, over 2 billion Instagram photos were taken of dinner plates. It was the first time the American public was reminded about sense of place, and that translated into something very unique that across all major polls on trust, farmers were ranked number one. Now, I say this because you have a group of consumers that are looking for sustainability. They have high trust in you. They're, they want to believe. It is our job to tell them and educate them. And then the second thing is, at the same time, there's all of these questions on climate change and green. Take a look out your field right now or tractor, wherever you are. You have the green stuff. You are the eco workforce, the eco boots on the ground, the people that actually could stand up and answer their questions. And we've been doing that quite a bit, uh, in particular at the UN last year. Uh, as you know, there was a lot of discussion and we made certain that farmers were front and center in that discussion. And it's a global marketplace, the, whether you like the UN or not. The consumer and this global marketplace is influencing. And it's important that we are there and set the table. And Erin, I think this is a really common question right now for farmers and ranchers, because I do know that consumer preferences are changing and they're looking for the answer of how to show that what they're doing on their farm is sustainable and is climate friendly. And it sounds like U.S. farmers and ranchers is kind of answering that question of what they can do about that disconnect between consumers and farmers. Would you say that's true? We are definitely working on it. Do we have all the answers? No. Um, part of it's education on the basics. Um, I, I always joke like, 
brown things and green things are the cool things. The only living machine that sucks carbon out of the air. It's literally that simple in explaining uh, the value of our agricultural working land and the people behind it. But the consumer is also getting a lot more educated as well. So not only do we have to educate on the basics, they also want numbers. So, that, you know, it's tough, right? I mean, we, we've seen a lot of these supply chain metrics coming down the pipeline. The measurement piece is the toughest. And I know that that's really where our farmers are right now. There's a lot of noise in that marketplace. But the most important thing is to talk, is to engage on trust and really show and tell what our farmers are doing every single day. And also make certain that the consumer knows not any, that it comes back to every farmer, every acre. Every farmer is unique. It's hyper interdependent by the place of space where they are. And every acre and sub acre is even unique to the decisions our farmers make. And not only are they getting out there every spring <laughs> making all these decisions and this biological complexity, but now we got climate change. So you got to partner with us. Because they are innovating and it's the chance of a lifetime. So join us, support our farmers, learn, get involved, um, but stop saying we're the villain here. I'm enamored looking at your board of directors, your board leaders page on your website. You have some extreme support in guiding your institution. Uh, Cassidy, I don't know if you saw this, but multiple representatives from state organizations, the American Farm Bureau, a couple of large restaurant chains, Culver's, McDonald's, uh, even on the ethanol side of things. What a fantastic looking group of advisors, which only leads me to believe that you can be a really good resource for our listeners when it comes to things that might affect the future of agriculture, like the upcoming farm bill. Is that something that you guys can be a resource for or help point in guidance with the way your organization is structured? So great question. One thing, we are always a sense of guidance, education, fact. And I think it's great that you mentioned um, the board leadership. Um, as you can see, it's farmer-led. You know, I meet with my farmer uh, chair every Monday. Um, I work for farmers. So that's key for you guys to know that I'm your employee. And second, we have, we do have facts. Now, related to the farm bill, of course, one thing that's very unique about our organization is that we actually do not do policy. And the reason for this is that there's about 1,200 different organizations in agriculture that actually do do policy. You can think about your commodity groups, state-based. And often everyone's arguing. And and um, we wanted to take the policy conversation out of the equation. And our mission really is to focus on the business. So consumers, science, uh, making markets in the private sector, everything that's non-policy. And as you guys all know, there are many organizations doing policy. So in the case of the Farm Bill, we would be a place for core facts, information, uh, examples of great work that is going on, but we would never get involved specifically on a policy. You have many different organizations to do that. So, Aaron, you work for the farmers. So if our farmers that are listening are looking to getting involved in sustainable practices and wanting to work with U.S. farmers and ranchers in action, how can they find you all and what do they what steps do they need to take? Well, first, I would love for you guys all to watch the 30 Harvest film. Um, everyone's getting into fall. I know there's going to be a lot of uh, time in, in 
in harvest season, take five minutes, watch it with your family. You can get a sense of what we do every day. The second is if you are really interested in getting involved in supporting our organization, uh, we would love to have your farmer group organization, state-based, community-based, national commodity group, really support and get involved. And then the third way is as an individual farmer, you can become a farmer ambassador or endorse the decade of ag as your farm uh, and commit to the vision and, and, and goals. Hey, it's been a pleasure to have you on Aaron, the Ag News Daily podcast. Uh, we look forward to continuing to keep up with the organization, what you guys are doing, especially like you said, it, it's been fun for me to do the homework and listeners, you should go out and visit their website as well. But as I said, it's been a pleasure to have you on our show. Thank you so much, you guys. Really appreciate the opportunity. Delaney, that was Aaron Fitzgerald, CEO, and a very well-spoken individual that I think is a good person to have at the head of Uniting the Voice of Farmers. Absolutely, Sanner. Sorry I missed out on that conversation because it sounds like you had a great one there with Aaron. Yeah, like I said, well-spoken. It's always fun to get to meet. That's probably the cool part about this job as a podcast host is all the people you get to meet both in person and virtually. And I don't want to leave the ranchers out as part of that conversation, but it's good to know that uh, we can tell our story and continue to educate the consumers and a good conversation for our Ag News Daily listeners. Absolutely, Tanner. We're going to continue tomorrow with another great conversation, folks, so do stay tuned for that. In the meantime, Tanner, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. (laughs) 